0: Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Adam Fair, Zoe Burnett and Christina Taylor. Adam, Zoe and Christina are mental health campaigners who all have a range of mental health illness and neurodiversity lived experience. Adam, Zoe and Christina join me today to discuss the importance of community and the support it can provide in recovery. Hello! Hey. Oh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> I was going to say everyone's name instead and I was just like, I, I just, I think at 10 o'clock in the morning, I don't know if I have the capacity <laughs> to do that.
1: On
2: a Sunday as well, of all days. Oh, <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> Dragged everyone out of bed on a Sunday. It's, and, and it's like the cold, I don't know about you guys, but it's minus five where I am.
1: It's not that bad here. There's still snow on the ground though. So. Snow? Yeah.
0: You all need to move down south.
1: Well, it's, it's snow that's compacted these This ice is now, an ongoing so...
3: campaign. But...
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's that sort of Where snow that's just hadn't... compacted and it's now ice, so you can't walk anywhere or drive oh. anywhere. Yeah, a bit slippy.
0: Yeah, but... that's not the one. We had that actually before Christmas in Cambridge. We had snow, and then it was so cold that it just stayed for, like, a week, but it turned into ice as well. And that, like... I think it was like five days after it had snowed, I needed to use my car, because be, being in Cambridge, I don't use my car. And oh my God, scraping it off. It was absolutely awful. Yeah. It was just like ice, like stuck on my car. So I was just there with a spatula, like trying, to <laughs> pick it off. Because I had no tool for getting it off.
1: My car park's on a hill as well. So I tried to get up to my car one night when it was really icy before the grit at the car park. And I got about halfway up and just slid back down again. It was quite fun actually, but yeah. <laughs> And you are just going down on my backside, just sliding down.
0: Nice. <laughs> nice. Thank you all so much for joining me. I'm really excited to chat to you. It's so nice to have so many people. Um, I've never done one with four people, so that's really cool. Um, and just kind of to, um, I guess, explain why we're doing this. So this podcast episode is for three years of Philippines, which is, I, I think it's three years.
1: Oh, my God, I just lied? <laughs> I just... We'll go with
0: three. Yes, three. We'll it's go three. It's three. <laughs> no,
1: is Day it... three, yeah. Is it two? <laughs> good. We're going to
0: go three. <laughs> I actually can't with remember Three of now. us, it makes well, sense. We're going to go three. Uh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's two, because it's like a hundred and something episodes. Right. Okay, I'm... well, I'm not going to redo that, because it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the second year of the Beans... <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh, to celebrate that so yeah it's um I thought that it would be lovely well you guys actually reached out to me to do an episode about friendship and community which I thought was a great idea and for an anniversary episode I thought that would be a great thing to do um to speak about kind of you know the community that can be that can come from maybe something that's not so great um so I guess to start with how do one of you want to explain kind of how your friendship developed how you guys got to know each other? It's all, oh, a bit weird for me. Like, I kind of met Adam and Zoe individually.
3: I think I was actually I was on Twitter and somebody said something really horrible to me about how I looked, and Adam like sent me a DM, and we'd just been sort of speaking in the same eating disorder circles, and he was just like, that person's really horrible, and he stood up for me. And I think we just sort of ch- started chatting from then. But Zoe, I always remember Zoe because <laughs> um, she just had her baby, and I and she didn't know many mums. and I said, oh, if you want to talk to me. You know, just about stuff because I've got two kids. Then you know, drop a message at any time. And the first time she dropped me a message, I'd literally just come round from anaesthesia. <laughs> She's going, I think we should do some working about eating disorders. And I was like, okay, yeah, sounds great. Um, yeah, and then <laughs> seemed to work. Um, and then we, I think, we realised that we'd been speaking to one another separately. And it just made more sense to all speak together so we made a little dm group and we just talk every day <laughs> like best friends now don't know how you two met that's how i met them
2: <laughs> yeah sorry about that christine i do i certainly picked my time in there <laughs> didn't i um yeah obviously panda i had my daughter during pandemic very lonely time very isolating but christina was just a bit of a rock really bless her heart Adam. It just it kind of happened by accident. It really did, but it's been such a blessing. It really has. We just kept seeing each other, tweeting, and then obviously um, pops it for one doing little DMs. I think it was kind of each actually one day after I saw something that suggested you were struggling a wee bit, and then we just got chatting, and straight away this bond kind of connected. And as Christina said, we, we realised were all talking to each other, so we just put it all in one place and said, and it has been the most wonderful thing that's ever come out of Twitter, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, it, I think the best part of it was, is it was just completely natural. It just happened. And it, it literally just happened over time as well. And wasn't like forced or anything. And we, we got to know each other because we just got on really well. Like immediately we just clicked and sort of, you know, I think we, our brains work in similar ways as well in terms of how we, you know, support each other and act and think and stuff like that, so it's just been, yeah, it's been really, really nice and sort of showing the best of what social media can do, sort of connecting people from over the country, you know, but we become amazing friends, you know.
3: And we're all, you know, we're all different stages in our lives as well, so it's just, you know, and we're not people who would ever have kind of met, outside of social media or eating disorders um because we all live in different places um and it's just yeah
0: it's really it's really cool (laughs) yeah I think it's really nice as well like from what all three of you have just said there that the reason kind of it just shows how caring of people you are because the reason you initially reached out was you know somebody was maybe having a bad day or struggling a bit and and you wanted to provide that support which I think is so nice as a development of a friendship but also kind of speaks to me about the community on a whole it is a very supportive place um like i know recently you know when i've put things out people have then got in contact and, that, and that's so lovely to know that it, you're not like you know putting things out there into a space that people aren't hearing you or like giving you negative comments back um so i suppose in terms of like recovery why do you think, like, that sort of community and, and that sort of, those sorts of friendships are so important? I guess not just in recovery as well, because it's kind of like an ongoing thing, isn't it, um, mm-hmm. once you have recovered as well?
1: Yeah, I think having a peer, just having s- s- people who get it and people who understand, sort of, not just understand, not understand what you're going through, because no one can understand exactly what someone else is going through, but someone, you, you just got people there who you know you can just offload to and will just, you know, listen and support. But then I guess the good thing about us is we sort of, the way we talk is if one person needs support, we'll give it. But if both if more than one person needs support at the same time, we all just give it to each other at the same time as well. So it's like we mm-hmm. can do, it's, it's really nice in that way in terms of having that just mutually supportive group who just, you know, want to just be there for each other and, you know, try help try and, you know, Wade through the rubbish that is life. Sometimes I guess, even outside of recovery and all that sort of thing, you know, there's ups and downs and things that people go through that are horrible sometimes. And you know, it's just about being there for each other, I guess. Which is, you know, like a like a family, I guess, in a way. So
3: yeah, we sort of run running yeah, troughs together, at the three of us, don't we? Like we're always, mm. like, we always coming. Like, oh no, I've had the worst day ever, and then you're like, oh me too. And, or you know, like these these two are like secret agents you know I when I, I was looking for jobs and I was having a really tough time at work because I couldn't get made permanent and I found one now which is amazing and I just I got this little package through the post and it, they'd sent me like a bracelet just reminding me they were thinking of me and stuff and they'd done it because I was like I was stressing about something coming through the post and I'd taken a picture of it and one of them had like zoomed in and found my address and like and they sent me this and they just knew that I was having a terrible time and I was just like Oh my God. but they're detectives
2: you go watch that makes the sound a little
3: bit um like i wasn't expecting it, it was like I, it's usually me that does the detective work so <laughs> yeah
1: you are a super detective oh,
2: we no. always
3: do stuff like that for each other you know if one of us is struggling the other two will probably be like maybe we should you know do something hype them up and sort of we do it together and we just want to be each other's cheerleaders and be celebrating what each other's doing and if one of us gets a promotion or some good news I've just moved I've just got promoted I've just got a new job and we've just been like so excited for each other there's never any competition in the kind of advocacy work we're doing we just want to support each other and do as much as we can to help each other
2: I think peer support on a whole, it's so lovely to have someone to kind of walk beside you almost, not following in your footsteps or in front or anything, just those non judgmental people by your sides, just giving you those little words of wisdom when you need it, knowing that you've fallen before you even realize yourself sometimes, and just providing that non judgmental, empathic, beautiful words of wisdom. I generally can't imagine my life now without about that
0: peer support. I think it's really nice what you said as well, Christina, about that like non competitive nature in terms of like the stuff that you're doing and because I think I mean that's something that I wanted to ask you guys later and maybe we'll come on to it now or in a bit or whatever. Um but I think sometimes in the eating disorder space it can be quite a competitive environment. So it's really nice that you guys can, you know, be there to support each other and and, and be there to support each other with you know, life things as well. I think that's really great about it as well is that it's not just like focusing on one specific thing. It's you've you've gone from sort of being in that eating sort of community and developing friends to now being, you know, like you said, like best friends, like lifelong friends that support each other through everything, which that's what a friendship is. It's not just kind of like an isolated thing. It's an overall like celebrating the wins, you know, commiserating maybe the things that don't go so right and being there to support each other
2: very much just um just leaning on that i think all of us in the past year or two have had our you know, our diversity screenings and whatnot done mm-hmm. so it's not just that eating sort of. we've all then been through that together as well which is again has been a constant because it's a bit of a minefield out there to get diagnosed with these sort of things and to get that help and support so again just pulling on each other's strengths and helping each other out with that as well,
3: well we're all in a room <laughs> we like Your neurodevice maybe are oh yeah, because when we talk, we're like all the same and everyone realises, oh yeah, that is what ADHD sounds like.
1: We we all talk over each other sometimes as well, that's part of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think, going on what you said about the competitive nature and stuff, it's, um, yeah, it's really amazing that, you know, we all say that there's enough room for everyone's voice in the community and in peer support and stuff as well, and it's about, you know, bringing everyone up, not saying, you know, why have you got more than me? Why have you got more followers? Why have you got a bigger voice or whatever than that? Like that. It's about, you know, we all have our own strengths and we all have our own amazing qualities. And it's about, you know, supporting each other through that. And, you know, it's, it's not about being competitive. And I think sometimes, especially in the eating sauce community, as you said, Hannah, it's about a lot of the time It's there's a couple of big voices who take a lot of the sort of exposure sometimes. And I think often it can drown out people who actually deserve that voice as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the community as a whole needs to work on as well, in my opinion anyway, is that we need to help empower everyone's voices to ensure it's a more diverse and sort of inclusive community. Because I know they're buzzwords that are used too often, but it's really important here that we get voices that are underrepresented within the communities speaking up, because without that, we can't get real progress.
0: Yeah. How do think we sort of make like headway towards that because I think I agree with you that there are like particular voices that kind of you know are louder um and almost in a way sometimes it feels like they're the more socially accepted voices if that makes sense like or maybe I guess socially accepted but also like the voices that you'd expect like you know we have so many stigmas about eating disorders and i think often the people that are heard are the people that we expect to have an eating disorder and obviously you know you want to shift that to be maybe people you don't expect to be in the ones to be heard but i think it's quite difficult to actually put that into practice from what i've seen yeah
2: this is where um again kind of peer support can have that helpful element i guess um i would again i'm just gonna use myself an example a clan richer, larger body, it was terrifying to begin with to start speaking out about these things. But again, people like Adam, like Christina just helped, helped me along that journey. To just knowing that actually, if you are wanting to share your journey, you know, get in touch with someone and we can help guide you through that. We can be there to support you, just give you room to vent because it, it can be blooming exhausting. It absolutely can be so exhausting sharing a journey. So, yeah, just having
3: that support from from everybody yeah and I think um all of us have shared our particular journeys on social media and received various different Mm -hmm. stigma based responses um and we're always ready for that with each other um and so you know we'll chat to each other and I've got an article coming out I'm a bit anxious about it and you know and we're always there to make sure that if some, you know, behind the scenes and like Adam is always putting himself in the firing <laughs> line to defend me and so me on comments and things and he's, I oh bless you. You always do, don't you? And you always end up getting horrible comments back. Um, but the reality of talking about an eating disorder, unfortunately, in 2023 is that even those socially acceptable voices, you will get comments like there are children yeah. starving in Africa. There are you know first world problems honestly why don't you just eat a sandwich and it's like those when you've gone through the emotional labor of telling a story having that said and knowing that people out there think that your life and your struggle and the things that you've been through are worth less than other people's it is it really you know it does really get you especially when you talk you know you've got talking to three neurodiverse people who suffer more intensely with rejection and feelings than perhaps um, people who are neurotypical you know that is a really difficult thing um, and that might be that the people the voices who are the loudest they're hardened to that they're used to hearing that so much that they're more willing to put themselves on the line um, but we should really encourage and I think one of the worst things I see in eating disorder advocacy is the comments that come from the lesser known ones like like binge eating disorder you know mm. I get a few comments that are unpleasant but when you see a story about something like binge eating disorder it's just a it's just disgusting and all three of us will go and have arguments with people till we're blue in the face but it's it shouldn't be that way for people when they tell people about something so personal private and painful to them
2: yeah on the, not on ice, but um getting some more spotlight should we say at the minute is in particular arvid um avoiding restricted food intake disorder very much <sighs> The amount of comments I've read that's like, oh, it's just picky and for God's sake, it's just picky. Eating. And then it just makes my skin crawl. Um, so frustrating. But again, if somebody's sharing that story, if, oh, just get support behind behind you when you're doing yeah. advocacy work. Because it, it can be a little bit brutal at times, shall we say.
1: Yeah, and I think it's about everyone within the community helping by just supporting those people mm-hmm. as well. You know, even if it's just a like, a little whatever it might be, just to make sure they feel supported. Because, like you said, it's if you are just starting out on that journey of sharing, one negative comment could put you off completely. Um, And it's about just trying to drown out those negatives with with sort of love and support. I guess is is sort of what you can. It's not ideal, and there's always going to be ignorant people who don't get it, don't understand it, don't want to understand it, and just do it to be nasty. To be completely honest with you. Um, but we've got to, I think, collectively work to call them out and try and support the people who are, you know, experiencing that sort of abuse because that's what it is. And um, I know we've all we've all experienced it in some way, shape, or form, and it's it's horrible when you go through it. Um, we shouldn't have to be hardened to it, and we shouldn't have to put up with it. But unfortunately, we do, um, and that's where the support side comes in, I guess. We
3: always do it if we hear that somebody's asking if we get a request for something someone's asking something and it's something that we don't know something about it's really important to us to like elevate the voices of people who really are suffering and struggling with these things because if something comes through to one of us to speak about binge eating disorder we're like okay who's the best person to speak to because it's not it's not for us to be speaking on that kind of issue it's not right for us you know and we really respect that as a group and it is really important to us that the right voices are heard when it comes down to something because what can i tell you about binge eating disorder what can i tell you about eating disorders in the black community i can tell you what i've read but i can't tell you how it feels mm-hmm. and it's really about how someone feels
0: i think that's so important in terms of actually then getting like the right knowledge across um because i think you know I, i've already said this but eating disorders are such a stigmatized issue um that as soon as you know then if somebody that's maybe I mean obviously it's great to advocate for stuff but if somebody's like sharing when it's not their lived experience I think like you said there are so many voices that could share that lived experience and get you know that real authentic kind of emotion across about it or just like the factual experience of how it feels to do that kind of as not somebody that's got that lived experience almost feels like well okay well you know you could have shared that voice um rather than maybe what you've read um which I think I think that feels that feels really important um to kind of you know reach out to other people and share that and also I think if somebody came to me and and was like oh you know um yeah I know you've got experience of this and would you like to share experience I think I'd feel really validated from that in terms of like you know other people are wanting my story to be shared so that kind of you know the truth is going out there rather than maybe the stigmas
2: Just
1: completely echoing what you said. Yeah, same. I think (laughs) when, you know, when I get requests from, if I ever get requests from people I meet, you know, I'll always say, I don't want to be the only voice on this because Mm. it's important that other people have their voice as well. And, you know, there's no one monopoly. There's no one voice that can represent the whole community. Um, I can represent my lived experience and that's it. Christina can live, represent her, Zoe can represent hers we can talk about what we've read and sort of things that we maybe understand in a theoretical perspective, but there's nothing that will replace that lived experience.
2: Which to be fair in itself is, again, talking about eating sort of community on the whole, it's so lovely that there is so many different people willing to speak up because we can learn from them as well. You know, we don't know everything, <laughs> of course mm-hmm. we don't. So yeah. again, by elevating those other voices, it gives us a chance to listen to where, Obviously, I do work within eating disorders as well. It helps me as a professional. Where could we be going wrong?
3: Well? What could we be doing better? Equally, it helps me yeah. professionally because I work in diversity, equity and inclusion. So mm-hmm. my job is literally to look at intersectionality of protected characteristics within organisations. So when I'm looking at when voices are represented, if I'm speaking to these diverse ranges of people, I'm getting, I'm hearing these different perspectives and I'm thinking when I do an event at work, Am I making sure that this particular part of our, our community that often says that they're ignored is speaking? If not, it's kind of my job to make sure that those people feel more comfortable in an organization.
0: Yeah, I, um, I saw a quote the other day on Instagram, I don't remember who put it on, and it was like, I recover loudly so that other people don't struggle in silence. Was it you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, thought it, it was, like I thought
0: it was somebody that <laughs> I didn't is, know. I know. But <laughs> it's it might not have a been a
2: quote to be fair. fair. Right,
0: okay. Bleh. Um, Bleh. Anyway, I flipping loved it because I think a lot of the time. I don't get backlash from sharing about, you know, my journey and stuff online. But I think people are often sceptical in terms of, like, why are you doing that? Like, is it actually positive for, for you? And I totally get it. Um, and I think, you know, there are things that sometimes you don't share and there are things that you do. And, you know, I think I've tried and give a balance so that it's not just like through rose-tinted glasses. But I think that is, you know, kind of why all of us do it is so that, you know, if you're somebody else is struggling with something and they don't have anyone else to turn to you know we've all got each other we've got family and friends support but if you don't have any of that i think this community is so important for kind of just being able to talk about things that you're going through you know recently with my relapse as much as my family and friends have tried to understand, like, Hannah, why, why are you doing this? But I found it so, you know, amazing to have you guys to reach out to and, you know, just to have that support and that understanding of, you know, how much an eating disorder holds over you. Because I don't really have anybody in my life that can understand that because it is such a complex thing. And you know, maybe even the people in the community can't understand it. They're never gonna know exactly what's going on in your head. But I think just to have that extra level of empathy of, you know, having been there um and being able to understand just has has been so sort of validating, but not in the way of like, oh I'm validating your eating disorder, in the way of like it's actually like okay. And and Adam sent me a text the other day like stop beating yourself up and like don't be angry at yourself because i was just getting so pet up like why the hell have i come back here and i think to hear somebody else that's you know had that experience say you know stop being so horrible to yourself is like okay you've actually been there rather than somebody that's not experienced it saying i oh, stop you know stop being it, it comes from the same place but it's it kind of you can relate to it so much more when it's from somebody that understands
3: you know, my, my husband, he, he's obviously, we've been together for, for like nearly 16 years and he can empathise when I, if I'm having a tough day, but he, I know that these guys can understand why I'm, I'm crying over a piece of broccoli. Um, and he's like mm-hmm. looking at me like I've grown an extra head. And I've always said that eating disorders are like another language. Um, whenever I've met somebody in person who who i don't know has an eating disorder i can i can tell just from their mannerisms the way that they act around food the things that they say and the way that they're trying to conceal it and it's just it's like meeting it's like spending a lot of your time in in a a country where you don't really understand the language and then meeting a few people who are you can just go away and speak and you all understand and you all know and it doesn't matter how ridiculous what it is you're saying they get it Um, even though their experience is different they just understand why the most irrational thing in the world is
0: totally rational to you i think um i found that a lot recently in that kind of the things that i'm experiencing um or feeling are very it's very difficult for people that don't have an eating disorder to understand and i guess just on that topic this might be controversial but i think it's important to ask and this is not what I think of you guys I'm just asking how you don't maybe slip into this I think in the past I have definitely this like when I was younger and on tumblr and stuff so it was not a healthy environment you can sit in a circle of an eating disorder and all kind of it might be that you feel like you're working towards recovery but all your conversations about eating disorders, you know, all of your friends now have an eating disorder or have been in eating disorder recovery. And something that I'm finding through my therapy at the moment that's kind of coming up so much is my identity for the past 14 years has been that I've had an eating disorder. And that's going to take some massive shifts. And so I guess, you know, people could be sceptical of saying that, like, well, if your, all your friends have an eating disorder or eating disorder recovered, how are you going to have a life outside of that? Um, yeah. So guess, like, what would you
1: say? I think I think that's valid. Um, it's a valid, you know, thing to say. I think, A, surrounding yourself with not just people with an eating of people who are in recovery, recovered, whatever you want to say, is also really important because it gives you that other perspective. But also, mm-hmm. I think a good thing about what we do within the community or what we try to do, you know, especially what I try to do, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but Zoe and interesting you do it a lot as well, is we don't just talk about eating disorders. We don't just talk about the sort of nitty gritty and the sort of issues. We, we try and talk about other things and, you know, finding your identity beyond that eating disorder, beyond that sort of little bubble is really important. I think that's something that, you know, I, I try to do especially is say that, you know, everyone's version of their selves is about finding your identity outside of that and, you know, like you said, Hannah, it's really hard to try and find that when you're within a bubble, but I think it is possible if you surround yourself with different voices and different viewpoints who are all sort of, but also looking at not just following other people with eating disorders, but also looking at professionals and, you know, people who like that as well to sort of understand things a bit better, you know. And it's not directly related to eating disorders, but I would never have got an autism and ADHD diagnosis if it wasn't for Twitter. So without that, I wouldn't understand why some of the thoughts I have, why some of the – why I am who I am. I would have always tried to be putting that sort of square peg into a round hole when actually now I can look at trying to make the, you know, the peg square as well as the, the, the hole. The, the, you know what I mean? It's about making – it's about trying to understand yourself better, and I think that's really helped with that. So I think, in a way, yes, peer Park can be sort of a race to the bottom if it's not done the right way and if it's within – especially in some circles on Twitter, which I'm not part of, and I don't think anyone else on here is part of, which are very negative and very sort of harmful. Um, But I think if you put yourself into the sort of more positive communities who talk openly about their struggles, which is really important, but do it in a way that sort of gives others understanding and more insight into themselves, I think that can be really positive at the same time.
2: Yeah, I always say with regards to like the whole identity thing, I will always say that yes, my eating disorder was, is, was, whatever, part of me, but it's not just who I am. I'm still a friend, a mum, a wife, a counsellor, all of those other things. And if you do, somebody across my Twitter page, it's not, yes, I will post stuff as a professional about working within the eating disorder field. Um, again, trying to retweet stuff that I see, but I'll also be talking about the fact my two year old is just what is, what is this um it's not just you know it's not just my identity and again one of the things even though as we in particular came together within the eating disorder community they get pictures of all sorts <laughs> you know again it's not just eating disorders that we talk about it is just life stuff as well
3: yeah i i when um, when I started working in diversity and inclusion, um, I mainly focused on my eating disorder because it was, it was underrepresented. You know, um, I used to work for a big insurance firm and, um, you know, financial services, they, they just saw food and drink and that kind of thing. And, and I was just like, no one ever understands. Um, and I started writing a blog there and I, it, I worked with one of the in-house doctors because they, they sold health insurance. And so he used to read it. And he, he said to me, like, I think that your eating disorder is, you know, like part of your identity and it and you will need if you want to get better, you need to like differentiate yourself from being someone who has an eating disorder. And it was a really good piece of advice because I you know, really wholeheartedly threw myself into eating disorder advocacy for the, the prior three or four years. And everything I was doing was talking about helping people and making people better. But I wasn't actually thinking about who I was as a person. And after that, I did sort of step back and reflect and just think. Yeah, actually, you know, I am a lot of other things as well, and it really broadened what I was looking at and what I was talking about. And over that time, the, the focus is is barely on eating disorders for me anymore. You know, I mean, I talk about it because somebody has to. Um And eat. when uh, people who've been pregnant with eating disorders, we are a rare breed, and people don't talk about it very often. Although there's emergingly more of them. But when I was pregnant, um I felt like the only person, and I was really, really worried that. Um, if I told people that people would take my baby away from me and things like that so I I do I am that voice for people when like that it, you know they don't feel like they you know that anyone else understands but my, when when I talk to these guys don't we don't really talk about eating disorder symptoms at all. Like you're saying, we have such a weird conversation going. Going, on. we'll talk about stuff, trends that are happening in the eating disorder community, and uh, what do you think of this? This is a really interesting campaign. This is really cool. What do you think of this? But like, it's mainly talking about you putting your life in boxes, Adam, and what your daughter's doing, Zoe, and the absolute hell that is an eleven, nearly eleven-year-old. Um, and an, an eight-year-old that I've got and um, I'm just really trying to prep Zoe for the future at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it
2: but then um, <laughs> yeah we do really talk about eating solids. but then when things do wobble shall we say
3: mm. we can lean on each
2: other in those sort of times as well.
3: You know we know that Adam was going through a really tough time of exercise and but both Zoe and I sometimes use exercise just as a a fun thing that we do and we were very mindful at that time of being respectful about sharing that part of our lives because we didn't want to make that more difficult for Adam so you know and now we're all in a place where it's a bit easier for us to go I'm just nipping back from hit class or something but it's about being sensitive in the way you do it. And I think there's a, there's a huge danger in some circles that it's like, oh, I've lost this much weight this week. And then that triggers the next person and they're like, oh, well, if they're losing weight, that means they're more ill than me. That means they're more deserving of love and care, because that's what that eating disorder is telling you. Um, and we you know we never.
1: Totally right. I think it's, it's amazing how you two have been so mindful of me. And hopefully we're all mindful of each other when, you know, when we need to be and when we struggle and. Um, but we can lean on that experience that we've had to sort of help each other at the same time. I think something you say, Christina, and it sort of brought it back is we've talked often about how advocacy is brilliant, but advocacy shouldn't be your life. You know, if it's in terms of it can mm. cloud it can often cloud people actually looking into themselves and trying to find themselves and their recovery, that what their version of recovery is. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who you know, go head first into advocacy, become eating disorder therapist, whatever it may be. But they do so to almost avoid thinking about themselves. Um and avoid actually doing the work that they need to do to to try and find their what their version of sort of recovery or management or whatever it is is. Um and I think it's about that that can be a dangerous place to be in at the same time. So, you know, I think as a as a wider community it's about sort of yes, supporting each other, but also understanding when people need to take a step back and say, actually, you know, I need to focus on myself for a bit right now because that's the most important thing because without you being okay and without, you know, advocacy will still be there. It will always be there because eating disorders awareness is about 50 million years away from being half decent in terms of within wider society. So it's true, (laughs) especially when you see the comments on things. Um, So I think it's about... The the message I guess I'm trying to get across in a really bad way is focus on yourself first, because that's always going to be the most important thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's something that I have massively come to realise over the past few months is that it's it's so easy to kind of, I guess, mask everything with the like oh i'm i'm doing all of this to help everybody else and just completely forget about yourself and i think my experience definitely was that i went to work in eating disorders because i hadn't fully navigated my own eating disorder and it was a way of keeping the eating disorder alive but not in the form of an eating disorder like a physical one um and I think that I've, I've seen that quite a lot in people. And it's it's a difficult thing to say to somebody like, you know, are you actually doing this because it's helping you or are you doing this because it's helping everybody else? And that's a way of you sort of not helping yourself. Um, and that's really hard to come to terms to with. Um, but also, I wanted to pick up on what you were saying about like the friendship that you've developed. I think it it's brilliant that you do just talk about like random life thing, because that that's what that's what friends do isn't it it's it's all like I said earlier is it's every different element um and I think that kind of shows the stage that you're in yourself in terms of you know where you're at with your own things because you are able to sort of have conversations about other things rather than just eating disorders I think when you have communities of people that are in the depth of an eating disorder and then they become friends that's when it's really competitive and maybe all you're talking about is eating disorders and kind of the behaviors that you're doing and it's a very triggering space um and you know I know that this isn't the case all the time but like I found if I have met somebody that's you know actively engaging in an eating disorder and and I am as well then maybe it's not the right time to be friends um but I did have a friend who when we were 14 we were both struggling and we were just like for now, maybe we shouldn't be friends. And we've reconnected now. And unfortunately, we're both now in relapse. But we've because we've got that history of being like it didn't work last time, kind of talking about things, we just don't talk about anything that's going on. We just talk about life outside. And I think that's the most important thing like you were saying, Christina, with kind of you know, knowing what was right what's right to say sometimes and what's not. It's having those boundaries in place. But I think when you're in the depth of an eating disorder, those boundaries can be really difficult if you've not got that understanding because you almost in a weird way don't want to be triggered but by being triggered it it makes the eating disorder louder so therefore the eating disorder has more of a hold
1: yeah
3: i i was in inpatient treatment quite i'm older than these guys much as it much as it pains me to say um so I, i was in inpatient treatment um back back in 2006 and I, you know i developed a really intense and strong bond with somebody there and we came out um, and we carried on being friends and i could see these little um signs that she was slipping back um i kept mine a lot more private that i was slipping back um, mine happened a little bit later but i knew you know you you, you could see like she was getting certain foods out and you could see that the the things that she was doing were getting smaller and smaller and smaller and the parameters around what she ate and what she did were getting smaller and it it was so hard because I felt so powerless to stop it and I knew what was coming I could see it coming a mile away and I just I couldn't say to her at that time because I was so ill myself I just couldn't say you know because I was so frightened that You know how an eating disorder is. It becomes you. It becomes somebody else inside you. And if someone threatens taking away your coping mechanism, you are like, just get out of my life. I don't want you anywhere near me. So I just stood there and watched. um, And she ended up back in hospital um, and I ended up relapsing as well. But that person now, she has two kids and we are friends on Facebook. We don't speak very often. But honestly, every time I see little snippets of her life and that she's left all that behind, I just I feel like as happy as seeing a member of my family because it's just so brilliant to see that she's happy and that she's stable because I never thought I would see her like that. And it's just wonderful to see. And I think if we had continued our friendship, we probably, you know, we did used to go out from the eating disorder clinic and we'd be like, oh, have you used laxatives too? Oh, yeah, me too. yeah and You know, and stuff like that. And it was probably quite a toxic friendship for the two of us at that time um but now it's just full support this is so brilliant I'm so pleased for you and um I think her daughter's a similar age to to Zoe's and so you know occasionally I'll be like yeah just wait till she's 11 (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's that it's got to be the right time and and I think for us as friends we're all sort of we're not in the same place necessarily um and we have our wobbles and we have all of our different things but we kind of know what you know like whether something's true we'll always ask we'll always say this happened to me today but I don't want to trigger either of you you know and we're we're very respectful about that with people and we we know what the right things to say and and the ways to offer support are if that makes sense yeah when I
2: was um obviously I do kind of cast myself as fully recovered. But when I was actively engaged in those behaviours, I, I'll be honest, I would seek out those friendships to purposely screw up for my yeah. own recovery. And um, I'll, I'll throw it out there, I'll be honest, of course, because i i yeah, it was something that the sort of kind of drove me to do, I'd seek out other people if that makes sense. So I could kind of develop those, friends, so I could Populum, in a kind of way. Um, I was, I'll, again, I'll be honest, and I'm shameful to admit, of course, I was drawn to, like, the pro sort of communities because that was something that, yeah, my eating sort of little brain lit up, lit up for. Obviously, with these guys, it is completely different because, like Christina said, we're all kind of working towards, well, fully recovered, working towards recovery, wherever we're at. So it's a lot more safer, should we say. Yeah. To engage in this sort of friendship.
1: Yeah, I think firstly it's not shameful at all. It's an illness and that's part of it. It's totally part of it. I think that's <laughs> one thing I've got. One problem I've got with lots of support groups though, especially ones that aren't very well moderated, is um and this is more and so I know this is more on the fresh side rather than the friendship side, but a lot of the support groups can be I've only been on a couple and I went on them more just to understand what they were like and They are very toxic environments a lot of the time. Race to the bottom, everyone just... And that's not because the people on it shouldn't be talking about what they're talking about. It's just not the right place for them to be talking about it with all the people who are also very unwell. Mm. Because all they're doing is essentially... there's There's nothing in there that's actually going to support someone. It's just everyone saying about how hard things are, which is absolutely valid for them to say. But is that, I don't think that's the right environment. I think that's where the boundaries in terms of friendships come in as well. It's about, you know, understanding when, you know, when's the right time for actually to talk to people. And, you know, if someone else is struggling, is, is that going to be harmful for them for, to talk about that too? I think, but to flip that, I think one positive about sort of a friendship, especially like ours is, is we can probably notice the other, people, the, the other person struggling, sometimes even before they know themselves. Because the signs that we see that, you know, maybe sort of subconscious to sort of how we're doing, but we can sort of help it, you know, go actually, yeah, just let's, you know, support that or let's take a step back from talking about that because actually that's not the right thing to do right now. And I think, you know, it's almost having mutual boundaries that you sort of, it's sort of like almost an unspoken rule, I guess, about supporting each other, but also noticing, you know, especially when people are more recovery focused it's about noticing. You know, is that essentially them slipping back? Could that be triggering? Could that put them in a place where we don't want them to be? So let's set that boundary and not sort of go there, I guess.
0: Yeah. I think um sometimes I have maybe a controversial view of this. I don't know. But um so I did a support group, uh, a DBT skills one, and it was absolutely brilliant. And we had boundaries, um in the sense that we like, you know, laid down boundaries at the start, but actually, and I think also one important thing here was we were all there to recover. Um, like even, even if it was like point 0.0001%, you had something inside of you that wanted to recover. I think the kind of support groups, Adam, that you're referring to, I think are very much, people have no inclination yes. of wanting to recover yes. whatsoever. And there, that's when it's really, not great and you need to have those boundaries in place but one thing that i found from the support group was so the guy that ran it he said because i said at the start I, was like, I don't want to say something in case i trigger somebody and he was like it's actually really important that you do just say how you're feeling because if you do trigger somebody we then know that that's an issue that they need to work on yeah. um and for me i actually found that like a really It's a really interesting thing that he said, because now if someone triggers me like in day to day life, rather than getting angry and being like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. It's like, "Okay, that's maybe it's not a normal thing to say, but like in life, you've just said it. So people are going to say it. So I now need to to work through that in my own time. So that for me was that was really important. But we did have boundaries, you know, in the sense of. Oh, the things I can't think specifically what they were, but the whole triggering thing that really kind of reshaped my mind on, like, how those sort of things go. And and that's how I've been with friends as well, is, um, like, when I've told people, you know, that I've, I've been struggling or whatever, they've been like, oh, you know, let me know, like, how you want me to be in conversations or, like, you know, like, I went to a friend yesterday and he was like, do I just treat you like a normal person? Like... Yes, just treat me how you would treat Hannah, because I am Hannah still. And if something that you do makes me feel uncomfortable, that's a it's almost a motivation to me to be like, shit, I can't manage this. I need to get better because I want to be able to do this normal thing that my friend is is doing yeah. for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, I'm, I'm going to have to do it. I'm so, so sorry, forgive me, but I never switch off from
2: work, clearly. Obviously, support groups, when they're very well moderators, when they've got very, very good... Cough, cough, first steps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, moderating those groups. Yeah, it can be a wonderful kind of, again, a place to kind of develop those peer friendships. Um, I actually met one of my closest friends, who's Rosie's godmother, in like a support group. Um, Sarah, bless her heart. And again, we're still good friends to this day. We'll go out for meals together. Um, she's in a very different stage to recovery than what I am. But was just say you know what I'm thinking this right now and I can be like "Are right, you mate let's have a chat about it and yeah. knowing that that's okay it's safe to do that with me so to speak yeah. yeah support groups can be beautiful when moderated right and when yeah done properly shall we say
1: yeah it's, it's, it's the moderation isn't it and I think you know I think it's yeah. also about understanding if you're in a friendship group it's about understanding each individual so I've always said that Nothing anyone says will ever trigger me because the only person that triggers me is me. Um, mm-hmm. so people can talk about whatever they want and it doesn't bother me because it's I that's not how my brain works, that's not how my eating disorder works. Another person might be totally different. But I think it's about understanding that like you said, Hannah, it's about you know, treat Hannah like Hannah because for you, yeah, anything that potentially triggers you is a is a reason to go, actually I need to work on that. And I need to understand that better. Yeah. And you know, for me, Anything that anyone says, I just go. It's not got to do anything to do with me. Whereas someone else might hear something true oh, and go, "I've got to do that now." So it's about understanding those different sort of traits of the person that you're talking to at the same time. And if you're within a friendship group, those boundaries can be set by just understanding the other person as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I find it really interesting actually because only think of certain things certain people do. Um, I have like a there's like five people in my life and they're the ones when they say things that um, will like affect me but that I know is what I need to deal with so what they need to deal with um, but I think also the kind of you know the development of friendships from shared experience is 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 so um, rewarding and, and comforting um, because like you said just knowing that people kind of understand what you've been through um and then the friendship does blossom into into something that you didn't maybe think that it could be um but you can connect on on a different level um so just to finish us off I wanted to ask you guys what you think the best thing that you've learned from each other is maybe you could do like I don't know one from each or whatever put you on the spot (laughs)
2: I'll go first I'll be. Why not I get, I'll, I'll, I'll be kind and I'll let you guys have a think. Um It's because it literally Just popped up into my head Right away um, I've always 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 worn masks I've always tried to fit in with different people I'm one of these people who've got different masks for different situations I'm like oh which one do I put on for which Because no diversity It's uh. but With these guys I've learned Actually I can take all of them off I can be my authentic true self without fear of judgment without fear of anything and i cannot tell you how nice that feels and how <laughs> calm that has made me over the past few years and um, so the thing i've learned the most is that it's okay to be my true self it's okay to be me And I've taken that with me in everyday life, and that has had a knock-on effect in my job. um, The people around me—I'm not trying to fit in with everyone anymore because of the confidence that these guys have actually given me. So, thank you. Lovely.
3: Yeah, you know, like all three of us since we've been friends, we've like totally kind of changed our lives in one way or another. And I think you know it is in part down to sort of just having that sounding board with each other, like I completely changed my career 18 months ago and I don't think that I would have had the confidence to just go, ah, you know what? And and I, I changed it once, decided to do one thing and then realized that was a really dumb idea and that I should go go into working what I do work in. Um, and, you know, these guys have been like always really supportive um, of, of that. But, you know, sort of diff- different things from both of you, like the way Adam, is just he just will take anyone on and he is just like totally willing to stand up for anybody um and I got bullied when I was at school and having and both of these two like these two have always always stood up for me and it it just feels like a really safe protected way and You know, I'm not really friends with them because I'm just going to stand behind them and and they're going to look me. (laughs) It was that feeling of feeling protected by two people who genuinely cared about me um, and how I am. You know, that was a really important thing for me, but also just it's rare to find people that you, you can just be so honest with. And a lot of my friends I've known since before I had an eating disorder or while I masked my eating disorder but these these two people are friends with me in spite of my eating disorder and they Mm -hmm. know everything about it and we're just still mates and we don't really talk about the illness part of me we talk about the part of me that you know has all manner of weird things going on throughout the day and can can talk themselves into weird shapes that's a favorite one of our messaging groups sometimes I'll just do tricks because I'm hyper mobile um (laughs) um, but yeah like it's just that sort of being myself like like Zoe said um and, and knowing that you guys are there and you'll pick me up if something goes wrong but you will be my biggest cheerleaders if something goes right that was more than one thing sorry
0: No, clearly this friendship can't be put down to one thing. So that's amazing.
1: No, there's so many. Um, I think one perfect example is the day me and Zoe actually met in person to go bungee jumping. It's the first day, and this is this is the honest truth. It's the first day I came back, and in the car on the way, no, no, it's true. On the car on the way back, my mum basically said, "That's the first time you've ever been yourself when you've been out with other people," because I was just me. And that is the sort of comfort that I got. And it's honestly, that's the same with Christina. It'll be the same with Christina when we all meet. And, you know, it's just, we can just be who we are. And it doesn't only mean that, you know, you feel safer. It actually makes life more enjoyable as well when you do have those times because you're not coming back absolutely knackered because you've pretended to be something you're not all day. You know, when... If I go on to message about something and moan about something or complain about something or try and support, you know, Christina and Zoe or whatever it is, we, it's because we're just being ourselves and we can just say what's in our minds and not worry about filtering it first. It's that sort of free, it's freeing. It's just completely freeing. And I think that's the nicest part of it for me is just that sense of I've got, there's two people there who just get it and just understand and just allow me to be myself. And we just, you know, are there for each other and don't judge and don't sort of have any sort of preconceived ideas of what we should say, what we might want to say or anything like that. It's just complete you know, sort of acceptance. And I think that's the biggest part of it. And yeah, it's just amazing. And I feel so lucky, to be honest with you, for it. Oh, that's so lovely. It's
0: about- <laughs> oh, the loveliest Sunday ever, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's so nice when like I said at the start, you know, something so lovely can develop from something maybe not so not so lovely. Um so that is really special. So just for to finish off, um Obviously, you guys do so much work, so I'm sure everybody will have already heard of you, but if they haven't already heard of you, where can they find you to hear more about the work that you're doing?
2: I'll go first against um, all <laughs> Obviously, I do work for First Steps. I'm just going to say it again, First Steps, Eaton's lot of Charity. I work mainly with children, young people, so do, you know, go check out their website for help and support. But for me personally, I'm known as Barefoot Rebel. I'm not some sort of foot fetish person. It's because I am an extremely anxious person. So normally when I'm doing interviews, press stuff, I'm normally barefoot because it helps around me. Um, So yeah, so I'm known as Barefoot Rebel online, Twitter and Instagram.
3: Um, I'm an ambassador for BEAT. um, So you can find me and ask me to come and speak for you through BEAT. Or um, you can find me on Twitter, um, which is... Uh, now, I made this sound more grown up because everyone make fun of me for my um, my old name, which my husband made up for me. So it's C.H. Taylor. <laughs> and then the it underscores. On Instagram, I've got my husband's name that he made up for me, which is Barnacle Bear, which is a joke that's based... On, and mine is much less professional and funny, like, and cool sounding than Zoe's, is that my husband used to say I was like a little bear. And then when he hugged me, I was like a barnacle that clung on to him so that's where that came from and it's deeply embarrassing so for Twitter and professional purposes when I was looking (laughs) jobs I decided to change it Um, but for Instagram which I have locked because I have pictures of my kids on my Instagram then it's still Barnacle Bear
1: and yeah I'm just mainly on Twitter because I'd love to do more advocacy work outside but at the moment just try to manage time and stuff but yeah I'm on Twitter as Adam Fair 1996 tweet mostly about completely random stuff and disability, but sometimes a bit of stuff as well. But yeah, um, that's where you can find me.
0: Amazing, cool. Well thank you all so much, it's been so lovely to chat to you, and like you say, a great way to start a Sunday. Thank you Hannah, bless you. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.